All right, we are in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, if you want to open there, if you're not already open there. Uh, last week we concluded with, let me go backwards, just one slide here, if I can get it to work correctly here. Oh, there we go. Uh, we, we did that, we did that, we did that. Uh, where we ended up was, here we go, the four punishments uh, or the repercussions of David's sins. Uh, and we're going to see that play out tonight. Those four things uh, all will play out tonight. The first of those is actually the last of those uh, that we're going to reference here, and that is the child will die. So let's look at verses 15 of chapter 12 and down through almost the end of the chapter, and we see that David and Bathsheba's son dies. Do we know his name? Don't know his name. We do know the subsequent child who ends up becoming the most famous of the children. Uh, and his name would be what? Solomon. Okay, very good. So this is um, uh, what we're dealing with here. Um, I want to go back to a point that Brother John made at the conclusion of last week. And I didn't mark it what verse it was. Um, but note, if you would, that it, it and I'm going to get back to John's statement here in just a second, that the Lord struck the child. That was promised. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't happenstance. It was a direct result of David's disobedience to the Lord. And uh, John, what verse were we talking about? Do you know what conversation I'm talking about? Yes, I am. <laughs> We're thinking, what, that's pretty good. We didn't even talk about it. But I, I was thinking 19, verse 9, John made a really good point, and it connects to this here of chapter 12, where it says, why have you despised, this is the New King James Version, some of the other versions have the word despise, the commandment of the Lord, to do evil in his sight. You know, when we despise the Lord or despise the Lord's commandment, that's a very serious charge. And it comes with serious consequences, which is one of the big, broad lessons we're going to walk away with tonight. Um, I want to look at verse 16, particularly, where it says that David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Are there lessons that we can appreciate or learn from verse 16? Uh, hopefully you understand where I'm going with this. So we know that the child's going to die. Now we know the whole story, of course. Uh, David is told uh, this, but yet he prays for the child. Is there something that we learn from that about our own prayer life? And if you have a long comment, uh, we'll get your microphone. If, if it's something short, just shout it out. Great humility by lying on the ground. Brother Bruce here. Keith. Um, absolutely. It's showing this respect and reverence and um, attitude of, 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 of reverence. Yeah, Brother Bruce. Well, even, <clears throat> even though he had been told, he knew that his God was someone he could approach and mm -hmm. talk to him as Moses uh, did when God was ready to <clears throat> destroy Israel. Mm -hmm. God may or may not be persuaded, but in his hour of grief, that's where he should have been. 
talking with God. Very good. Sometimes we talk about the amendable will of God versus that which is not amendable. I've heard, I don't know if you've heard that before, but I heard that years ago. I thought that's kind of an interesting way of putting it. There are things that we can pray to God. God, please heal this person of their sickness. Uh, please help me to uh, be influential in teaching this person spiritual lessons. Uh, and God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is, is no for whatever reason because he's the wise, uh, omniscient God that he is. However, it would be wrong, I think, for me, I think you would agree with me, for me to pray, Lord, please make it so that I do not have to partake of the Lord's Supper. I mean, that, that's just silly. It sounds wrong. That, that's not something that's going to change because it's in God's revealed will. That is not amendable. So that's kind of the point that I was, I was trying to make here. Um, the child dies, though. And how does David react after the death of the child? He gets up. He washes his face, he combs his hair, he does all the things that you would think, you know. And what were his servants concerned with at this particular juncture? Right. If he has been this distraught while the child was still alive, what's he going to do? Is he going to harm us? Is he going to harm himself? And so there's something to be said about the way that he reacts and why he reacts. Uh, And I think that we learn a lot from the last couple of verses uh, uh, of this particular paragraph. Uh, Verse 22, I want to read 22 and 23. I think it's some of the most profound, sad, but yet beautiful, comforting verses that we can read in the Old Testament. He says, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, did all the things that David Creech talked about. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And then I love the phrase, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. That's, that's a sad thing, but it's also a good thing. And it's also evidence, it seems to me, one of the pieces of evidence in the Old Testament where we see people having a, a foreknowledge of the afterlife. So the afterlife is not just a New Testament concept. But people, Abraham, people like David, appreciated that this was the case, right? Okay. Yes, uh, Debbie over here. And then we're going to go ahead and proceed to the last couple of verses of chapter 12. Miss Debbie. I find it interesting, too, that through all of this, David recognized his sin. He was remorseful. Mm-hmm. And he he didn't ever blame God or get upset with God or get angry. Sometimes um, we see in this life that happening with people when things don't go right or the way they think they should. And they blame God or get angry with God. And this is a good example for us in how we should behave and how we should act during these types of situations. Excellent. Yeah, this is a real character study of David, and he shows himself to be a man after God's own heart, to borrow from the book of Acts. So we are uh, in the very last couple verses of 2 Samuel chapter 12 here, uh, and we are going to, uh, we see the birth of Solomon here in verses 24, 25. Um, And then the very last thing here is Joab and David defeat Ammon. 
Uh, is there something, and we're going kind of quickly here because we have a lot more to cover. Is there something that we learn from Joab in this particular text, in those last five verses? Yeah, Brother Allen. If you will allow me not to talk about Joab, but Solomon instead. Sure, you, um, you, the, you, you're welcome to. The spirit kind of in these verses, I think, really beautifully um, alludes to something for us as David's final statement that, can I bring the child back? No, he will not return to me. And yet, the next verses are, you see the Lord, in large part, I think, showing compassion on Bathsheba for what's happened to her and all of this, gives her another son. So this child kind of comes back in the form of Solomon. Excellent. This king that is going to have the throne, it's going to establish the house. You know, in David's mind, this son was gone forever, could not come back. But the spirit here alluding to us, I think that God is able to bring back his anointed son at some point. Here you kind of see Solomon emblemizing that a little bit by being born, being replaced. But Jesus, of course, he will literally come back from the grave. God can do that. And Jesus is referred to in Matthew and other places as the son of David. That fits very nicely with that. Thank you, Alan. Um, yeah, Brother uh, Mitch here in the front. Just real quick. Uh, Joab's concerned about appearance. Yes. And whose appearance is he? Well, um, what, go a little bit further. Very good. He says, I want David to get the credit for this, right? There in verses 27 and 20. That's the point that I was trying to, trying to get across here. Okay. All right. Uh, real quickly, pretend this is the end of last week where we kind of do some wrap-up applications and lessons. And I came up with three big lessons from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse, uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, where we see David doing wrong, sinning uh, with Bathsheba, murdering Uriah, uh, covering it up, uh, all the issues that he had. One is that we should work to keep ourselves in the right place at the right time by being busy doing the Lord's work. Someone said last week uh, that the devil will use uh, idleness uh, in a way that will keep us from doing what is right and allowing us to develop thinking of things that are wrong and then doing things that are wrong. Uh, We referenced the book of Numbers where it says, remember our sins will always find us out. And then, uh, as we are going to talk about at least tonight, even more, there are always consequences to our sins. That goes along with point number two. Okay, anything else on chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel? All right, let's go ahead and move to 2 Samuel chapters 13, 14, and 15. Um, Review for me the relationships between Amnon, Absalom, and Tamar. Who's who here? Because we get into we start throwing in a lot of names here. How are they related to one another? They are they are siblings. Uh, who is uh, a full sibling with shared mother? Uh, well, with a full, who's a full sibling here? Okay. So what's going to happen here is Amnon, who is going to be the bad guy in the story until Absalom becomes the bad guy in the story. So it can be a little bit confusing for someone that's, as we've talked about, the second statement can be a little bit confusing for someone who's never studied it before. Uh, Amnon is the bad guy in chapter 13. We'll get to Absalom and his issues a little bit later. But let's, and we may not even get to that uh, this, this Wednesday. We may have to wait till next week. Um, Tell me about, in short, 
what happens in chapter 13, the first 20 verses. And if you want a microphone, we'll bring one to you. Uh, but, but rather than reading 22 verses or 23 verses, summarize what happens here. And while you're thinking about summarizing that and volunteering to do so, the, a thought question is, in what way or ways did Amnon love Tamar? Because that seems to me, uh, I don't know if it's, maybe it's just me, that strikes me when I read that in the text. Uh, I'm looking at verse uh, 2. Amnon was so distressed that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it goes on in verse 4. It says, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now later, that'll change to something else, right? Uh, change to hatred. But who can kind of summarize what happens in these 20 verses? Pretend that you're... You don't have a Bible, but you're going to summarize this. Who wants to do it? Say again. Okay. He tricked her, right? And uh, said, I'm sick. I need someone to come help me. Someone to come cook for me. And uh, Tamar does what is, uh, I guess, a reasonable response. And she says, sure, I'll cook. Uh, I'll help you, and does all that. And then Amnon makes this request of his sister, of Absalom's full sister, of his half-sister, right? Am I getting it right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I'm, because I, I, my eyes got crossed a little bit in preparing for tonight's lesson. <laughs> um, and ends up lying with her. And then what is his reaction almost immediately? He hates her. It's one of hatred. Look at verse 12. But she said, no, my brother, do not force me for no such thing should be done. Uh, Do not do this disgraceful thing. Where could I take my shame? Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. This is, not a, this is not a comfortable passage to read. This is not something that we enjoy reading for pleasure. But it is something that we talked about over the last three weeks. It is inserted by the Holy Spirit to help us learn about the character of those who do wrong. And this is, in some ways... Going back to the very first slide that we talked about, where we see the results of David having made poor choices. Then, verse 15, Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. Thoughts on this? Um, before we, and I know we're going very quickly, Brother, Brother Bill, all the way up here in the front. Uh, and then anybody else want to comment? Okay, we'll start with Bill and then Mitch. Uh, just real briefly, I think that to me, this is one of the reasons you can see God's wisdom. Like, if, if David had been struck dead for his, his sin with Bathsheba, this is the guy who would have been king. This guy who's sexually attracted to his half-sister and ends up um, taking abuse of that. So... There's some certain wisdom in how God punishes David, um, because if this guy's going to be king of Israel, obviously there's going to be lots of problems. But, but I think you, you highlighted it well, even though God is acting in wisdom here. This is a continuation of David's, um, David's struggle um, to have his family. And we haven't gotten there yet, but the family is going to continue to right. kind of degrade. Excellent. Excellent here, observation. So. Very good. Thank you, Bill. Brother Mitch? 
I think one of the uh, key lessons we learned from the last, you know, from chapter 11 on through all that we're going to discuss here is uh, you're looking at not just individuals and their personalities and how they can be affected by sin, but you're also looking at all these different points where those individuals could have made a different choice and could have stopped. And at any point in time throughout that process, they could have made a different decision mm-hmm. and it could have, you know, drastically changed the outcome. And I think we, we see that and it's, it's saved here for our learning so that when we're in different situations in our lives, we can kind of maybe detach ourselves sometimes and view ourselves in these same situations and all the different points where we might be able to make a different decision and prevent ourselves from having these similar consequences. Absolutely. So I think you see that with David. You know, he makes a different decision. He decides uh, to follow God's word. And and I think that he acknowledges that with the death of the child uh, where he says, you know, there's nothing I can do now about the child. But I can make a, cho- a choice about where I'm going to end up in the future. Mm-hmm. So I can make better decisions going forward. And I think, you know, here you're just going to see the wrong decisions play out over and over again to try and beat that point home Excellent. as well. Mitch uses a couple of very key words, Brother Allen, over here, uh, Keith. Uh, choice and decisions. And that's something that we all have. No one forces you to make a choice to do right or to do wrong. You get to choose that yourself. Yeah, Brother Allen? Kind of towards the end of this story, too, we see... I think a little bit where David is still, you know, just some of those that affect maybe from his past choices where, where he hears about this and the scripture mm-hmm. says he's very angry and he, he does nothing. He's very angry. And we read that and be like, well, that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But in that a sense, you would wonder what could you do? He, all he did was exactly what you did. He saw someone he liked devised a plan and he mm-hmm. took her. Yeah. And so you see David in a sense, unable to kind of nip this at this point, and it's right. going to continue to spiral out of control. That's it. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's one of the points that I really didn't flesh out in the screen or didn't really t- tend to talk about. But uh, in reading about this, you see, you wonder, could David have done something? And I like the phrase you use, spiraling. This is spiraling out of control. This is just getting out of control, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, and he's going to lose children over it, multiple children. Uh, as a result of this. Let's just go back here real quickly uh, to verse four or five. What kind of person was Jonadab? Says he's crafty. How else would you describe? I think that's a great, a great new way, a great way of describing him. Deceitful. He's deceitful. So he is a person that will take pretty, he, he seems to me, he, he has no, no spine. Uh, he's willing to not take a stand for what's right. Uh, is unwilling to take a stand for us, right? Just kind of just, and I'll just, if, if you need me to do wrong, I'm your man. If you need something bad to happen, I'll make it happen. That's to me, start, I better say it. That's to me is kind of like what, what John Adab is like here. What's sad is he was an uncle. Yep. So, yep. I, you know, talk, you need to kind of police your family because look at what can happen. Absolutely. And so, and so there in verse 5, we see his plan, which we talked about. So this isn't something that uh, Amnon came up with all by himself, but Jonadab, a relative, says, here's, here's a plan for you. Uh, we see here, and we're kind of going, uh, reviewing a little bit, we see what happens with Amnon and Tamar. Um, 
And then we talked about what lessons we learned, particularly in verse 15. Verse 15 just strikes me. Amnon hated her exceedingly. Do we learn anything from that? He says he loved her. And then it says he hated her so much more than, than that he had loved her. Silly. Yeah, Brother John, Jonathan, you look thoughtful. Are you going to raise your hand? And then Brother David here. Well, it kind of gives some insight into what um, kind of love, and it's not a kind of admirable love. Correct. It's the kind of passionate love that um, should not have been. And so he never uh, loved her in the, in, the kind of, in the sense of the kind of love you'd like to see. Excellent point. Just a similar thought. Uh, we see from the outcome that he didn't really love her. He lusted right. for her. And lust has a very intoxicating effect. Mm-hmm. Dulls the senses, reasoning. Uh, we see that. And then once that lust was satisfied, and he's sober once again, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, mm-hmm. um, reasoning sets in. And he realizes what he's done. I think that all plays into this. Yeah. But yeah, he, he didn't love her. Excellent. In the way we think of love, agape love for sure. Sure. Uh, it goes back to, and then uh, Lucy, right? Right? Okay. Lucy. It's, uh, it's amazing to see that uh, his view after the fact mm-hmm. was more like, okay, I've actually been able to conquer what I wanted. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly what I expected and kind of got upset over that, over that sin. Not what I expected, but I did it anyway. Sure. Yeah. So you have, I use the word sorted. We used that word last week as well. And Lucy makes a really good point here. You just have people just making these decisions. And we look back and we say, why are you making these decisions? Only except we're going back to Alan's point, like David in some ways. We look in the mirror and we say, why did I make the decisions that I made years ago uh, before I was a Christian or when I was an heir? Because we've made choices going back to the word that Mitch used. And then it all goes back to where we started, uh, the, the L word. Uh, lust and love are similar words in length and that they start with the same letter, but there's a striking difference between them, right? And I think that's the point that Bruce was making at the outset of our study together uh, tonight. Okay. Um, Absalom gets news of this. David gets news of this, and Alan kind of talked about this a moment or so ago. Uh, and how did they react? Well, Alan already talked about how David reacted. How does Absalom react? Very yeah, he, he's kind of vanilla, is he not? Look at verse uh, 20. Absalom, her brother, said, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. That's, that strikes me on a number of levels, and I can't explain that fully. I have some theories on that, um, but just we'll leave it there. Brother Mitch, you look very thoughtful. I was going to say, that, I mean, that's the, that's the, right, nowadays, you know, listening, you know, if you're listening to criminal podcasts or true justice things, right, that would be, that's the sociopath yes. thing, right? That's, Absolutely. You, you don't react, you save it up, and then you get them back later. Right. A long time later. And how much longer later? How much longer later? Two years, right? That's a long time. Two years is 24 months. That's 104 weeks. That's a long time to just be plotting, thinking about your revenge. That's a, that's, that's a lot to me. He looked thoughtful too. So. 
It's good, good that people look thoughtful. And I can tell wheels are turning in people's heads. And, and, I, and I appreciate that because some of those looks are puzzled. Like, I can't figure this thing out. I, I can't figure this thing out either, except that let's, let's, get, let's make this very simple tonight. If we get nothing else out of our study, when people sin, whether that be ourselves or others, ugly stuff happens. If we get nothing else out of 2 Samuel, that to me is a big lesson. When we sin, bad stuff happens. The Lord does not intend for us to do wrong. He wants us to do right. And in doing so, we will be blessed. Doesn't mean that life will always be easy for us. But after all, 1 Peter says, if we're going to suffer, suffer for the right reason, for the right cause, for the right uh, purpose in what we're doing. Okay. Um, Absalom does what to Amnon in one word? He kills him. How's he kill him? Yeah, so that's interesting that there's a number of occasions in 2 Samuel and in 1 Samuel, as Mitch talked about, where it's like, okay, you kill him, has his servants do it. Um, that's 23 through 33 uh, of the text. We're not going to read too much of, of that uh, for the sake of time. But I do want to go back and for the third time mention chapter 12, verse 10. Chapter 12, verse 10, which is following verse 9, where it talks about you despise the the commandment of the Lord. Verse 10 says, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So there's a direct connection between the choice that David made. And now David is sitting back and watching all this. And I don't want to be overly critical of David. I appreciate Alan, the way that he kind of presented David's looking in the mirror and seeing this spiral out of control. But David's got to be thinking, oh, now I see where my choices have, have uh, affected others. Not that Amnon doesn't have free will, but David is seeing how his choices are affecting his children on multiple levels. And now... He's got Absalom uh, killing Amnon. Okay. Um, well, that's not the end of the story. Uh, let's go to chapter 14. And I know we're going speedily and we're skipping some stuff. And we can come back and revisit that next week if, if the time uh, allows us. Um, someone described for us what I call the widow woman story. Or... In southern Indiana, we would say the witter woman, right? Someone describe for me what happens in chapter 14 in 30 seconds or so. In the first dozen verses. Volunteer? Yes, and so Joab uh, kind of contrives this plan um, by using a widow, right? Or by using a woman who says, hey, I'm a widow. Uh, The woman says, uh, I am a widow. My husband is dead. To make the point even more emphatic, it seems to me, 
And I'm told in the Hebrew language that's, that's what that's going on here. Verse 6, your maidservant had two sons. Two fought with each other in the field. There was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed. Now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant. Deliver him who struck his brother that he may execute him for his life and brother. And so we kind of go on down to verse 7. What is David's initial reaction as the king? Yeah, I'll deal with it, right? I'll take care of it. Uh, someone make a note on my calendar, uh, get back. Put it in Google Calendar, I'll get back to that, right? And what does she do? She, she walks away and says, well, it's not going to work out. I'm not going to get the answer that I need. That's not how she responds, right? Reminds me of another lady in the New Testament, right, who is very, we use the word persistent to describe her. But she says, uh, my Lord, O King, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And so what does David do in verses 10 and, well, verse 10? He, he kind of says the same thing, just in a different way, right? He says, I'm not going to deal with it right now. So she's persistent. And in verse 11, please let the king remember the Lord your God and not permit the adventure of blood to destroy you. As the Lord lives, not one hair of your, of your son shall fall to the ground. And then verse 12 See if I'm trying to look at my notes, see what I highlighted here. Uh, the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word. What's she, what's she, by the way, what's she saying in verse 12 in our language? Yeah, can I, can I talk a little bit more? After all, you're talking to the king, and the king can say, I'm done listening to you and get out of my sight at any point. And the king says, go ahead, speak. And then it all comes back home, verses 13 through about verse 17, 18. Let's read real quickly here. Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. We will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. You can see the light bulb going on in David's mind. And when you get down to about verse... 18, 19, what does he ask? He says, wait just a minute here. He says, have you been talking to Joab? Have you and Joab been, this sounds like something Joab would do. And Joab, in, in the words of uh, one of our members uh, over, over the course of the last few weeks, is one of those tough guys that you wouldn't want to mess with, right? So he says, is the hand of Joab with you in all this, in verse 19, and then um, when in verse 20, uh, verse 21, he says, all right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore, verse 21, bring back the young man Absalom. How does Joab react in verse 22? He falls down. He, he is elated. I get the idea that he's, when he leaves the palace that day, he's like, all right, Absalom's coming home. Everything's gonna be great again. By the way, Who's next in line to the throne? And, and there may be one or more ways. We know that Solomon is going to be the one to get the throne. But is the, and we already know the answer, are there people that believe that Absalom is the appropriate heir? Of course there are. And that's going to be the setting for the latter part of chapter 14 and then uh, certainly chapter 15 as well. Okay, any comments uh, on the first half of chapter 14 before we get to the last half and talk about it for just a few minutes here. 
All right, let's go down to about verse 25. Uh, Verse 25 says, In all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. By the way, does that remind you of anyone else in the Old Testament? Saul? I've been thinking about it, but yes, Saul, he was head and shoulders above the rest. What about in his family? David was described not with such glory, but as ruddy, good-looking, probably athletic, built kind of character. And it says from the soul, this is interesting, verse 25, David and I uh, were discussing this today. Uh, We have great discussions. I love working with him. It's so much fun. Uh, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Now, there are some good-looking people who are here tonight, but I'm not sure that any of us could say that we have no blemish in ourselves. Then in verse 26, when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. Anybody have a footnote or as to how many pounds that is? I, I came across it today. Somewhere between five and eight pounds is, is the average. So let's call it six to seven pounds. That's a lot, <laughs> that's a lot of hair. So David and I were discussing today, and I'm going to let my hair grow out to where I can cut it and get uh, six pounds. I hope no one has objection to it. Okay, I won't do that. But this is a good-looking individual, and he looks like a... King needs to look, right? Because kings are supposed to be powerful and big. And going back to the point that Alan really uh, made an excellent observation in that ultimately our king is Jesus. Is Jesus going to be the good-looking, fit, um, everybody's going to recognize him as, yep, he's the one? Absolutely not. There's nothing about him that we would behold him, Isaiah would prophesy 750 years earlier, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting to to, uh, talk about Absalom's return to David. Note, if you would, how long he was in the city without seeing his father. How long? In verse 28. Two years. And that seems to me really interesting. Absalom comes home. You know, if, if your child comes home or a good friend comes home, you want to see them. You want to pick them up at the airport. You want to you go into the airport and hold up a sign that says, welcome home. You want to, as soon as they get to your house, you want to hug them and embrace them. Two years goes by. Thoughts on that? I think there's a couple things we can maybe suggest. But Alan? I, I don't, go ahead, Alan. I mean, I think the, the scripture has been telling us up to this point, Absalom is not a good guy. Like it's, you can see the indifference he had toward his sister when what happened happened. He, he's not avenging her. He seemed to take this personally, that someone would like do this that. to his sister and kills him. And then th- there's Vinge. fewer bigger red flags in the Bible than someone that weighs their hair every year because they have such beautiful, <laughs> the scripture, and then in a minute how he burns fields because he's not getting, like the yes. scripture goes out of his way, out of its way to tell us. He is a bad guy, and I think David knows this still right. and point. is keeping him at arm's length because he knows this is not a good guy, Excellent. but he's, he cannot decide what, to, what he wants to do about Excellent. this. I think, that's, I think you're on the right track. Brother Mitch? Well, just real quick. I, David tells Joab, send him to his house. I don't right. want to see him. Right. 
Right. And I think it goes to, to the Mitch's great point goes to the point that Alan was making here. Um, can you imagine the emotional turmoil for David? I mean, if you've got a child and you haven't seen him in quite some time, but yet you know in your heart of hearts, mm, there's something about the character of this person that I need to keep some distance. I like the way that Alan presented that. So this is, again, in part, Absalom has made his choices. Brother Brian had his hand, right? Uh, but David is, is dealing with the consequences of his actions so many years earlier, or years earlier. Yeah, Brother Brian? If uh, we talked about David's reaction to the situation in chapter uh, 13. Uh-huh. Uh, he did nothing, really, essentially did nothing. If he had stepped up and done what the law had prescribed for him to do as a king, what would he have done? Well, what would he have done? He well, have executed, he, right? He would have, yeah, been executed yeah. Yeah. either for incest or adultery or both, right. whatever. Now, if he had stepped up and done that, that probably would have helped the character of Absalom somewhat. Great, Great it point. Ha- it helped a lot of different things, but that's one Absolutely. Additional thing that it, that yeah. discipline would have been carried out properly would have would have done. And this is not the only time in the Old Testament where we see parents not practicing discipline appropriately, and it leads to bad things happening in the future. Right? You think about the wicked sons of Eli and um, others as well. Absolutely, very, very, very good point. Um, Joab refuses to come to Absalom. And Alan kind of hinted at this just a moment or so ago. And so how does the chapter end? Alan briefly referenced it, but let's just make sure we understand what happened here. Um, verse 29. There, let's, let's just read a couple of verses here. We've still got a couple minutes here. 29. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent him again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine. He has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And the servants set the field on fire. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. This is, this is incredible. I um, mean, that's a very normal reaction. When someone's upset, well, you just burn their field down, right? Yeah. It does sound like a temper tantrum, right? So, and it goes back to the, to the good points that Alan and Mitch and some others have made about the character of Absalom here. And it goes back to the point that Brian made. Uh, that if indeed David had acted as prescribed in the law to the letter of the law, maybe these things wouldn't have happened. The easy question, the easiest question of the night, why would David maybe have been reluctant to execute justice in the way that he, the way that the, that the law prescribed? A couple of reasons. One, you're dealing with family. And whenever you deal with family, it's hard even though it's the right thing to do is to say you can't behave that way as, as, as my parent or as my child or whatever the case may be. But David had to look at himself in the mirror, didn't he? Yeah, his own previous sins would have, would have been guilty of right. punishment by execution. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay. Okay, uh, anything else on chapter 14 before we get into chapter 15 and do chapter 15 in two minutes? Okay. All right, let's just do, uh, we might be able to actually accomplish quite a bit. Uh, Absalom is frustrated and he has a plan. What's his plan in short? Say again? Take Take the throne. So he's got enough support. 
He's got people that are helping him. And one of the key people that we'll get to next week is a guy by the name of, who wants to take a, take a stab at pronouncing it? Ahithophel? That, that sounds good to me. I looked up some of the pronunciations of some of these words today um, and just to make sure I, but, but then again, how do, how do people in the 1900s know for sure how to pronounce these names, you know, 3,000 years ago? What's that? Somebody must have been there, must have been there. <laughs> here, right? And they passed it down. They wrote it down. They recorded it. Voice, <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, let's talk about verse four real quickly here. Absalom, verse three, would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Is he telling the truth? No, he, he's, he's lying here. He is making his father look like a poor leader that he doesn't execute justice, that he doesn't allow people to have their cases heard before him. And moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who had any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. So what's Absalom doing? He's lying. What else is he doing? Running for president. Yeah, he's, he's running for office. Yeah, he has cast his, uh, he put his picture up on the PowerPoint screen Sunday morning, right? Those of you that were here Sunday morning. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, he's, he's running for office. He says, look at me. I would be a better leader than, than anybody else. We're going to have to stop there. Next week, go ahead and read into 16 and 17, but we'll continue. i uh, make a little note here that next week is the 24th. We'll pick up there. Thank you all very much.